Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being with us today, and welcome to another episode of Stand By My Servants, episode 14, on the life of M. Russell Ballard. What a great, wonderful apostle, Elder Ballard. In fact, he would be one of the only apostles I've ever met, and that was an interesting experience. I had been a brand new member of the church. He came to our uh, stake conference in Texas. I think I'd, I'd been a member of the church maybe a month. And Elder Ballard shook my hand out in the foyer before a, a priesthood training meeting. And someone said to me, do you know whose hand you just shook? And I said, I have no idea. I just figured he was some member of the stake. And they said, no, that's, that's Elder Ballard. And at the time, Elder Ballard was a member of the 70. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I, I do remember he was powerful in that stake conference. So one of the things to think about today, are any of you named after anyone in particular? Or do you even know what your name means? And I think it's interesting with Elder Ballard when we think of names. You know, he's named after his father, but Melvin Russell Ballard, Melvin Ballard, or in other words, Melvin J. Ballard, his paternal grandfather, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles from January 1919 to July 1939. So that's his paternal grandfather. His maternal grandfather was Hiram Max Smith, who also was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles from October of 1901 to January of 1918, the son of Joseph F. Smith. So this is one of our connections that we like to talk about when it comes to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. But Elder Ballard's grandfather, Hiram Max Smith, was the son of Joseph F. Smith, whose father was Hiram Smith. And so Elder Ballard is tied very directly into not only uh, Hiram Smith, but his great-great-uncle, Joseph Smith. And so despite that incredible heritage, though, Elder Ballard grows up in a home where his parents are not active in the church, even though in the case of his father, that his dad was an apostle, and in the case of his mother, her dad was an apostle, This family was not active. Now, it just so happens that Hiram Max Smith actually died before Elder Ballard was born. He never really knew him. But Grandfather Ballard, Melvin J. Ballard, is someone that he did know, that he did remember. In fact, he remembers going with his grandfather to the movies when he was a young kid, Grandfather uh, Ballard. And remembers that Grandfather Ballard loved peppermints, but he also remembered that his grandfather would fall asleep in the movie theater. And Elder Ballard, as a young boy, just couldn't believe that. How could you possibly sleep during a Walt Disney movie? And then many, many years later, when Elder Ballard had the opportunity to be a grandfather himself, he realized, okay, I can can see very clearly now how a grandfather could fall asleep in a movie theater. Since his parents weren't active in the church, Elder Ballard was the product of wonderful friends and wonderful priesthood leaders. 
In fact, he was actually ordained a deacon in his ward by a fellow ward member. And uh, once again, had those great friends. And he had many great ironic priesthood leaders that kept him close to the church. Now his father, whose also name was Melvin, had him work at the Ballard Motor Company. That was his dad's business. He would work on Saturdays. He would work after school. He worked in the repair shop. He helped clean the building, worked in the, did some paint jobs. But he had the great blessing of working side by side with his dad. And his dad actually became one of his heroes in life. In fact, Elder Ballard wrote in his biography, I had been driving cars all around the dealership since I was 12 and could barely see over the steering wheel. And that's just how his life was, just growing up, working hard with his family. He loved his parents, once again, even though they weren't active in the church at all. Now, let me read to you a little bit from Elder Ballard's biography just to show how involved he was as a young man. This would uh, be some of the events that took place uh, when he was like a senior in high school, age 17, 18. He was actually ordained a priest by Elder Joseph F. Merrill of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He was at East High School, made the most of it. He didn't serve in every leadership position at the school, but just about. He was an officer in the Capella Choir, president of the East High Boosters Club, which supported students, faculty, and staff. He was a member of the Board of Control, which was a group of students who advised the school principal. He was a participant in student government, and he was the seminary council president at East High School. It's actually kind of funny, but when Elder Ballard attends the University of Utah, his fraternity brothers call him the bishop, a nickname. But it was just because they knew that he was always going to choose to do the right thing. Interesting enough, Elder Ballard later does become a bishop two times. His sister described him as a smiling, slender, wiry young man with a fun sense of humor. And he was a leader. And that becomes uh, very clear early on. Elder Ballard, uh, after he graduates from high school, is called on a mission to England. And that mission becomes a great seminal experience for the rest of his life. And I want to share with you an experience or two that occurred while he was in the mission field. His mission president makes him the leader, I think they called it a district leader in those days, over the Nottingham district of the British mission. And Elder Ballard has, once again, one of those great seminal experiences. I'm just going to read it to you. But once again, from his biography, he said of this particular day, It had been a long day, not discouraging, but exhausting, filled with meetings and ministering that were associated with my assignment as district president in Nottingham. The sun was about to set on another hectic Sunday in 1949. I had just concluded a successful street meeting with other missionaries in the Nottingham district, during which we shared our, our message with a passerby on Nottingham Square. As I strolled along the Trent Riverbank, weary and yet happy and satisfied in the work, an overwhelming feeling of peace and understanding came over me. It was at that precise moment in the time, at that time that I came to know that Jesus Christ knew me, that he loved me, and that he directed our missionary efforts in England and throughout the world. Of course, I'd always believed those things. They were part of the testimony I'd shared just a couple hours earlier, but somehow in that instant of what I realized was pure revelation, my belief turned into knowledge. 
I didn't see any visions, and I didn't hear any voices. But I could not have known of Christ's reality and divinity any more intensely had he stood before me and called me by name. I had impressed upon my soul the fact that the prophet Joseph Smith went into a grove near his home in Palmyra, New York, and there knelt and supplicated our Heavenly Father, wanting to know which of all the churches was true. The Father and the Son really did appear unto him, and the Father spoke to him, saying, Joseph, this is my beloved Son, hear him. That the Savior of the world, our Redeemer, our Lord, our God, our very best friend, spoke to that young prophet on that occasion, became a reality to me. Now, of this moment on the Trent Riverbank as a missionary years later, here's what Elder Ballard said, of that quiet moment, my entire life has been shaped by that sweet and tender missionary experience. From that day to the present, every significant decision I have made has been influenced by my knowledge of the Savior and the reality of the restoration of the gospel. In a similar way, Elder Melvin J. Ballard had an experience with the Savior on his mission to the Fort Peck Indian Reservation in Montana years earlier. In fact, it was 1919, if I, if I remember right. And here's the experience that Elder Melvin J. Ballard shared. He said, I received a wonderful manifestation and impression which has never left me. I was carried to this place, the Salt Lake Temple, into this room. I saw myself here with you, and I was told there was another privilege that was to be mine. And I was led into a room where I was informed I was to meet someone. As I entered the room, I saw seated on a raised platform the most glorious being I have ever conceived of and was taken forward to be introduced to him. As I approached, he smiled, calling my name and stretched out his hands toward me. If I live to be a million years old, I shall never forget that smile. He put me in his arms. He put his arms around me and kissed me and took me into his bosom and he blessed me until my whole being was thrilled. As he finished, I fell at his feet and there saw the marks of the nails. And as I kissed them with deep joy swelling through my whole being, I felt that I was in heaven indeed. The feeling that came into my heart then was, oh, if I could live worthy, though it would require fourscore years, so that in the end when I have finished, I could go into his presence and receive the feeling that I then had in his presence, I would give, give everything I am and everything that I hope to be. I know as I know that I live, that he lives. That is my testimony. I esteem it in the highest honor that could be given to a man to be a special witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Elder Ballard, our Elder Ballard, on his mission in England, read that sacred experience of his grandfather, he excused himself from his companion and went upstairs to the bedroom to be all alone as he read the rest of this remarkable account. Following his reading, Elder Ballard sat on his bed and wept as the Holy Ghost enveloped him, and he received an unmistakable witness that the testimony of his grandfather was true. Perhaps the greatest blessing of my mission is the personal witness I received of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, Elder Ballard said. Those sweet whispered assurances buried deep in my heart through the power of the Holy Ghost have moved and motivated me from that day to this. The Spirit spoke and confirmed truth to my soul. For me, that has made all the difference. Now, a couple of closing thoughts about Elder Ballard's mission. First, 
He was serving as the president. He did serve as the president of the Nottingham District, and he had only been a missionary for six months at the time. And then later, he served as a counselor to President Boyer and then stayed five months to serve as a counselor to President Richards. Or in other words, when the mission presidents changed, he stayed, but he wasn't an assistant to the president. He was a member of the mission presidency and extended his mission for five months, which is quite remarkable. Now, of his mission, he said this, I did not have a great deal of success in bringing a lot of people into the church as a missionary in England. I was able to baptize three families and participate in the conversion of others. Yet for him, he would say, my mission was the most important training period spiritually in my life. It was a foundation that gave me direction. And I think many of us would say that. I know that I feel the same way about my mission experience. Well, it wasn't long after Elder Ballard returned home that he began school. In fact, three days after he returned home from his mission, he was at a Hello Day dance at the University of Utah. Now, the way that dances worked in those days was that you dance with someone and then another person could tap you on the shoulder and that meant you're out. And that was exactly what was happening. Elder Ballard had only danced with Barbara Bowen, but in fact, he described her as a vivacious and popular young woman. He had danced with her for one minute, less than one minute maybe, before a young, another young man had tagged him out. But he said, that was just not acceptable to me. Having learned the importance of follow-up on my mission, I got her phone number. And Elder, Elder Ballard and Barbara then began a wonderful romantic relationship. He's going to, uh, in fact, Elder Ballard tells us in his biography that he was smitten with Barbara by the second date. He knew that's exactly who he wanted to marry, but Barbara wasn't so convinced. She was only 18 at the time and felt that she may need some more time. And so they did, did date for a while, but eventually that uh, beautiful, wonderful relationship transitioned into marriage in the Salt Lake Temple. This wonderful couple was engaged on April the 6th. There's a historic uh, fun date to remember, April the 6th, 1951, and then married on August the 29th. 1951. Now, one of Elder Ballard's great regrets in life came not long after, it was a decision that was made not long after he was married, but he was enrolled in school at the University of Utah. He was working full-time for his dad at the at Ballard Motors. He even said, I guess uh, I was a fairly good salesman. And I remember thinking, he said, if I quit school and put full-time effort into sales, I could really be financially secure. It seemed like a reasonable thought at the time, so I didn't finish my last year of college. But I've regretted that decision my whole life. And that's exactly what happened. And so Elder Ballard did not graduate from school. He never finished his degree. And he's talked about that on a different occasion or two of how he wished that he would have done that. But he became a great businessman uh, with Ballard Motors, uh, very engaged in that business with his dad. They were very successful and uh, he was making maybe more money, in this case it says, than his father thought he should. Elder Ballard really becomes a, a wonderful entrepreneur. And he ends up teaming up with a man named Nate Wade, who some of you, if you live in the Salt Lake area, may recognize that name. But he and Nate Wade, Elder Ballard and Nate Wade, engaged in many different business opportunities. Everything from, well, I'll just read a few, uh, Aerial Applicators, Inc., 
which was a company that uh, was behind spraying insecticides on forest lands and dousing out fires. They had a swimming pool company at one time. They also created a fold-away trailer business. Back in those days with many people buying small cars, fold-away trailers compensated for limited truck space. They also started their own home-building business. And not to mention that now Elder Ballard had his own car dealership, the Russ Ballard Car Dealership, and then it became the Ballard Wade Dealership. Now, here, be, here comes now one of the great life-changing experiences in Elder Ballard's life. This was 1957, and the Ford Motor Company had produced a new car called the Edsel. And they wanted Elder Ballard, they wanted Ballard Motors to be the sponsor of the Edsel, of the Edsel in the Salt Lake area and to be, the franchi- be part of the franchise for it. And so I'll read to you. It says, as he wrestled with this decision, he went to his father for advice. By this time, his father, Melvin, was easing his way out of the car business, but he still understood it well, as well as anyone rest knew. And Elder Ballard said to his father, who was a great man, before I sign the franchise, I want to see the car. Elder Ballard said, after all, it was a big decision. It involved a lot of money and a lot of commitment on my part. Ford personnel wanted his decision right away and thought by making arrangements for Russ and his father to fly to California to see the Edsel models that they could seal the deal. The minute Russ saw the Edsel car, he had the distinct impression to not go ahead, to do not sign the franchise. But when I got away from the new car showing, the sales power of the Ford company started to work on me again. In other words, once Elder Ballard got back to Salt Lake, here they came again. Uh, the Ford Company, they assured me the car was going to be the greatest thing that ever came into the automobile industry. There were 18 different Edsel models featuring convertibles, two-door, four-door, hardtop station wagons. The list price, excluding federal, state, and local taxes, ranged from $2,300 to about $3,500. Russ allowed himself to be persuaded. He agreed to take on the franchise. He rationalized that his father wanted to retire from the automobile industry and had given back the Nash franchise to Nash Motors. The Edsel franchise could be set up where Ballard Motor owned the dealership and where the used car business would be operated under Nate Wade's leadership. Everyone knew who could afford one bought an Edsel because of Nate and Russ. But it was not long before they had the largest sales volume of any Edsel dealership in the country. Ford Motor Company invited Russ and Nate to come to Detroit and share with others what they were doing to generate sales. But despite the initial surge in sales, the Edsel was a dismal failure. In fact, it was one of the most disastrous national marketing mistakes ever made in the United States. Ford Motor Company lost more than $200 million, and the Edsel dealers throughout the United States lost an estimated $100 million. Resonate sold their Edsel franchise at a loss of $80,000, and it took years for them to completely retire the debt and recover from the loss. Here's what Elder Ballard had to say about this experience. He said, Everybody who was involved in this Edsel lost money and lost money fast. And in my case, I will not tell you how much I lost, but it was a lot. And it didn't seem to matter what I did. I could not stop the losses. 
I had been the bishop of the ward for six months, and I remember being quite discouraged, wondering just how I was going to survive. And I thought, look, I'm the bishop of the ward. The Lord is supposed to bless me. I wondered what I had done to deserve this awful problem. It was a long, hard struggle, and I will not burden you with everything I went through to get out of it, but there was a learning process through that experience. Elder Ballard said, I learned that by not heeding the promptings of the Spirit, I could suffer pain and sorrow and failure. There was, though, a positive learning process that came to me because of my suffering through experience. I was a better bishop because I came to understand that people can have difficulties in their lives that oftentimes are beyond their control. I learned the consequences of not following the promptings of the Spirit as well. I had heard the voice and I had not followed that counsel. And after that experience, I committed that I would do everything I knew to live worthy of the promptings of the Spirit and be more obedient in the future, he said. So let's go back six months just for a minute because another interesting experience that's wonderful is that at the age of 29, Elder Ballard is called to be the bishop of the newly created Holiday Holiday Seventh Ward. And as I've read about Elder Ballard as a bishop, I was really impressed. He was such a great bishop, very involved with the youth of, of his ward. I'm sure that as a young man growing up, without a father who was active, without parents who were active, and seeing those great priesthood leaders, he was just so connected to the, to the youth of his ward. Another great lesson that comes from Elder Ballard as a bishop is, once again, his learning to respond to those promptings of the Spirit. Late one cold, snowy winter evening, Bishop Ballard was leaving his office at the church when he had a strong impression to visit an elderly widow in the ward. He glanced at his watch. It was 10 p.m. It was too late to make such a visit, he thought, and besides, it was snowing. He decided to visit this good sister first thing in the morning rather than disturb her at such a late hour. He drove home and went to bed, but tossed and turned throughout the night. He said, when you get something like that on your mind, the Lord has a way of stirring you all night long. And that's exactly what happened early the next morning as he drove straight to the widow's home. I arrived there at seven in the morning, he recalled. Her daughter answered the door and tearfully said, Oh, Bishop, thank you for coming. Mother passed away two hours ago. Bishop Ballard was devastated. And then he wrote this, I will never forget as long as I live the feelings of my heart. In fact, I wept. Who more than this dear widow deserved to have her bishop hold her hand, comfort her, and perhaps give her a blessing prior to her passing? I missed that opportunity because I didn't act. I reasoned away this strong prompting from the Spirit. I committed that in the future I would be obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. So once again, early on in his life as a priesthood leader, he's learning these great lessons of following the Spirit. Four years after being released from the bishop of that ward, the Ballard family moved. And uh, not long after that, Elder Ballard was called once again to serve as a bishop, this time of the Monument Park 13th Ward. Of this occasion later, Elder Boyd K. Packer teased him by saying, Elder Ballard, you must have failed the first time, so you're given a second chance to repair whatever damage you have done. Well, I think a lot of us could say those type of things, right, when we have callings for the second and third and fourth time. Another business venture that Elder Ballard put his whole heart and soul to, into was the Valley Music Hall. Now, if any of you are from North Salt Lake Bountiful area, as you, drive, as you head north on I-15 and 
look off to the right somewhere near Woods Cross, you'll see a building out to the right that was at one time the Valley Music Hall. Elder Ballard had created this facility, and the idea was that stars, celebrities from Hollywood, would come to Salt Lake, and they would perform in the Valley Music Hall. And that went well for a while, but eventually a fire broke out and ruined most of that building. Later, the church came in and said, you know what, we want a multi-stake facility here to have regional conferences and those kinds of activities. And so the church bought that facility. But Elder Ballard always felt bad about that and felt like he had failed in that business adventure. But obviously, that fire was not his fault. Now, here's another experience that I think is worth sharing because I just believe that those apostles, that our apostles and prophets, have been protected over and over again. In 1973, Russ and a man named Haddon Salt, the owner of the Eight Salt food chain, boarded a twin-engine Aztec airplane in Salt Lake City to fly to the San Francisco area where the Eight Salt Company headquarters were located. And on that flight, Haddon, an instrument flights rules trained pilot, was the pilot. Russ was invited to sit in the co-pilot seat. Haddon landed the Aztec airplane at the Lake Tahoe airport to refuel and double-check weather reports. He found that it was a little cloudy, but not enough to stop them from completing their short flight from Lake Tahoe to San Francisco. But as the plane approached the San Francisco Bay, the cloud cover became suddenly low and dense. Haddon tried to fly under the clouds so that he could see the ocean waters below and keep his visual bearings. But as the clouds increased in density, Haddon lost all visibility. Russell recalled the panic of that moment and his promise to the Lord, when you fly into such clouds, you become totally disoriented. You lose your sense of forward motion. And it takes a few minutes for the pilot to orient himself from visual flying to instrument flying. And at 180 miles per hour, you move a long distance in a few minutes and can get into serious trouble quite quickly. At one point, I knew the plane was upside down because the maps and everything that was over in the visor was now in my lap. The only instrument I could read was the altimeter, and I could see that we were way too low, about 500 feet above the ground. My friend was near to the point of panic as he tried to recall all that he had learned about instrument flying. All I could do was tell him to take a deep breath and get a hold of himself. At the same time, I was praying mightily because we were destined to either crash into the bay, into a bridge, into a building, or a hillside. And I kept saying to Haddon, get on the radio, get on the radio. It seemed an eternity before he finally made radio contact with Hamilton Air Force Base. All he could say was, I'm in trouble, help me. The air traffic controllers had us on their radar screen and immediately began to help. They told us where we were and how to straighten out the plane and started to give instructions to guide us to safety. The calm, reassuring voice at the other end of the radio helped Haddon regain confidence in what he was doing and almost miraculously they were able to make an unscheduled landing at the airbase. Of that experience, Elder Ballard said this, At the peak of this crisis came a very tender moment as my entire life flashed through my mind. I thought of Barbara and our seven children, my parents, my business partners, the priest whom I was the advisor, and many other things. I prayed fervently all through this crisis and made a commitment more deeply and sincerely than ever before in my life. As I prayed that Heavenly Father would bless my friend, that he might regain control, I committed to Heavenly Father that if he would help us, I would place my life in his hands.' 
I promised him that I would be whatever he wanted me to be. And it would not be long after that before I would come to understand what that promise really meant. Now, once again, that was in 1973. And in another occasion, on another occasion, when Elder Ballard shared that experience, uh, he made it very clear that it was the spirit that prompted him to tell Haddon to get on the radio and to get on there right now. Let's talk about Elder Ballard as a family man just for a minute. Russ and Barbara had seven children, two sons and five daughters, Clark, Holly, Malia, Tamara, Stacy, Brennan, Craig. And one of the great tributes to Elder Ballard, I think, from his family is although he was busy with his church and with business, he always had time for his family. When he was home, he was home <clears throat> and he was fully engaged and he made the time count. There's a great story of their son, Clark, who loved to mine and loved to cave, loved to explore. Dad would take me to Ely, Nevada with him when I was young to mine, to a mine he had an interest in. It was exciting, an exciting time for me as a boy. I'd put on that helmet with a light, and uh, we'd go down the mine shaft, and my dad took me on those uh, occasions just so we can be together. Another daughter, Stacy, talked about her happy memories with her dad. The first thing I think about my dad is that he'll do anything for us kids, regardless of how dumb it may seem. She talked about an experience where they were in Laguna Beach, California one summer for a family vacation. I had a craving for chocolate chip cookies, and my dad drove all over Laguna Beach trying to find some, which he did. There have been other experiences that Elder Ballard had with his children and cars that I find really fascinating. I'll tell you why in a minute, but one daughter, Holly, said that my dad's always been understanding. She said, the day I got my driver's license, he let me borrow his beautiful Buick Electra. I was returning a sweater to the store for him when I parked the car and I scraped its side. I was shaking and I called my dad, afraid that he'd be upset, but he just laughed and told me it was only a car. And it was no big deal. He was so understanding. He always seemed to know when we needed an arm around us. Another daughter, Tammy, shared one of her car experiences. She was in second grade, and Dad was always bringing home a different used car because of the business. One Sunday, he had a yellow Cadillac with a white roof, and my friends and I jumped in the car to get a ride home from Dad. We started jumping around in the car, and a friend kicked the gear shift into neutral. The car rolled back, and it hit another car. My friends fled, and I panicked. And then I ran and told mom, and we went home. When we pulled up the garage door, our yellow Cadillac was there. My friends and I had jumped into another man's car and wrecked it. I thought my dad would be so upset, but when he got home, he scooped me up in his arms, told me he was proud of me for telling the truth, then he took care of it and never mentioned it again. I've learned so much from my father. When I read these stories and and hear these experiences of how Elder Ballard reacted as a dad of a lot of daughters who were always breaking his cars. I just feel horrible. I wish I would have done better at the way I handled those situations. But with seven daughters, I think almost all seven, maybe five, uh, including our son, I'll have to throw him in there and say six, uh, just ruined our car in some way, just always destroyed my car. We didn't have always an extra car for them to drive so they would share a car with us as their parents. I still remember one time when 
our daughter, one of our daughters, Mackenzie, called me late at night. I was just going to bed. I was uh, the bishop of our ward. I had early morning meetings, and it was late on Saturday night already. I'd got a late start. She calls me about midnight, and she said, Hey, Dad, what are you doing? I go, What am I doing? I'm No, I'm about to go to bed. Why? And she goes, Oh, oh we were just checking. Now, note to everyone, but if any of your kids calls you, at midnight to say, hey, what are you doing? It's probably not going to go like this. Hey, you know what, Dad? We just have all this extra pizza, and we just thought we just thought you'd want some if you want to come over. No, it's never that. And she said, it, we kind of wrecked your car. And I said, what do you mean kind of? And she said, well, yeah, we, it's like your car's in a ditch, and the back wheels are up in the air spinning, and the front's in the ditch, and we can't get it out, and I go, why, why, like, why is my car in a ditch? And she goes, well, we needed your car to find firewood. And I'm like, wait, I'm so confused. And my daughter can, you know, explain that, hey, we didn't have flashlights. We needed some firewood because we were making a bonfire. So we just used your car to drive through the woods. Now, this was not an SUV. This was a Toyota Camry that they're driving through the woods looking for firewood and I was just so, I think that was the, th- Kinsey was the third kid that had wrecked that car. My son, our daughter Bethany, and then Mackenzie, all within like a year's time. And I said, okay. I said, I, I'm, I'm not coming out there. And she goes, wait, you're not coming out here. I go, no, it's, it's, like, it's like midnight. And I, <laughs> I've got meetings in the morning. She goes, yeah, but dad, your car is stuck in a ditch. I don't care. Wait, why, why don't you care about your car? Because, Kinsey, it's worth like $3 now, okay, after all the damage you guys have done to it. Anyway, we did go out and get the car, you know, on another day and uh, got it out of the ditch, but not after some really in, uh, significant damage. But I once again, I wish I could react to those experiences like Elder Ballard reacted. Here's his daughter, Stacy. He has always been there for us. He always seems to be there when you really need him. Last year, I went through a major heartbreak in my life, and my dad was there to put his arms around me and give me a father's blessings. Those things mean a lot. Barbara once says he's always given father's blessings to our children as as they've gone on a mission or been married or whenever there's been a need. She even tells of the experience of being in Canada on their mission. And our little boy was just starting kindergarten and didn't know one person. He was afraid. My husband, Elder Ballard, took him to the office, knelt down with him, and prayed that Heavenly Father would help him find friends, which he did. He's helped helped many of our children that way, and has always made it a habit to interview each child regularly. Well, I told you it was 1973 when Elder Ballard had the experience with Haddon Salt where their plane almost crashed. In that same year, later in the year, Elder and Sister Bauer were called in by the First Presidency for an interview to see about their availability to serve as mission presidents. And sure enough, that call came. And in 1974, Elder Ballard and his wife Barbara were called to be the mission presidents of the Canada-Toronto Mission. And what a great, great experience that was for the Ballards to serve as missionaries. And they had only been there for a short, I shouldn't say for a short time. You know, they were there for a couple of years, and now it was 1976. It was in April. And Elder Ballard received notification that he was to come to General Conference from Canada and to meet with President Kimball, the president of the church, 
and President in Eldon Tanner, the first council and the first presidency. And I'm sure Elder Ballard thought this had to be missionary-related, that as he met with those men, they issued a call to him to serve in the first quorum of the Seventy. And Elder Ballard said this of that experience, it was an awesome experience not only to be invited to become a general authority, but just to be in the presence of the prophet, he said. It was one of the highlights of our lives to be with those two wonderful men. Now, by the way, if as I understand this experience, Elder Ballard probably didn't uh, notify the missionaries that he was leaving because he did speak in general conference on that occasion. You know, he goes out as a he goes out as a mission president, and then he's uh, called to the Quorum of the Seventy, and then told, oh, and by the way, you're speaking in conference. His entire conference talk is only two paragraphs, but let me share the talk with you. It's really short, but it's to the point. As I contemplated the possibility of bearing my testimony tonight, my mind went back to many years ago when I was in the Aaronic Priesthood, and somehow... I and one of my companions found ourselves over here by the stairs where we didn't belong just prior to the beginning of the priesthood meeting. President George Albert Smith, in his kindly way, saw our plight, saw that we, were really, uh, that we really had nowhere to go, and invited us to sit on these stairs by the pulpit. I sat there with my friend and watched the proceedings of that great priesthood session, never believing that I would ever again be that close to this pulpit. I remember that I said to my friend when he left, when we left the conference, it sure would be nice to be a general authority. Then you would have one of those big red chairs to sit in. <clears throat> well, I would say, my brethren, that I've been sitting in a big red chair for a few minutes now. And the greatest desire of my heart is that I will learn through my obedience and my service to become comfortable in that big red chair. I pray that the Lord will bless me that I might properly represent President Kimball and all the general authorities that as they send me forth on whatever errand it might be, I might do the will and the bidding of the Lord. What a great conference talk for Elder Ballard to pledge his complete loyalty to the First Presidency and the other leaders. Of him, his wife Barbara said that he is an extremely organized person. He can juggle more things and keep them straight better than anyone I know. He's a perfectionist. He's a hard-driving person, but he has a lot of fun. And when we can get him relaxed and away from things for a few days with his family, it's wonderful. The perfectionism extends even to the family yard. He does yard work, but he really doesn't enjoy it. However, he can't stand for the lawn not to look nice. He'll mow the grass even if he has to do it at midnight. As far as his own comforts are concerned, he's easy to please. His favorite dinner is probably steak and french fries, but he'll eat any food that I put in front of him, she said. And then of Barbara, Elder Ballard said, marrying a good wife is the key to any man's success. Sister Ballard has helped her husband accept the callings that he's been given. They would stay in shape together and work together by playing tennis together. He even gave up golf because it just took him away from his family. Now on the occasion that they were called into the, uh, into the Quorum of the Twelve, Barbara said it just came as such a surprise. In fact, she tells the story. She, she said, we were just ready to leave the house to go to general conference. When the phone rang, and it was President Hinckley who asked my husband to come to the office. He thought that he would perhaps be called to speak in general conference. Elder Ballard thought, okay, I'm sure I know what they want. Probably someone got sick, and so they just needed me to speak. 
We were relaxed on the way to President Hinckley's office and discussed what Russell might talk about if he were called on to speak. When we got to the office, President Hinckley called my husband to be an apostle. And I almost thought, could you please say that again? I don't know if I heard you correctly. But Russell looked at me with tears in his eyes. It was a sobering experience. You know, one of the great traits of Elder Ballard is his meekness. He has this incredible ability to learn from others. In fact, Elder Boyd K. Packer once said of him, if I could choose one word to describe him, it would be teachable. And that's a synonym for meekness. When, I, when he was presiding over the mission in Toronto, Elder Packard toured the mission with Elder Ballard. When I returned home, Elder Packard said, my wife was concerned because I was so tired. Did you have a mission president that wouldn't listen to your instructions, she asked. No, just the opposite. Elder Packard said, I found a mission president who was so eager to learn and so desirous to obtain instruction that I was drawn beyond what we are ordinarily able to do. Isn't that a great tribute? Elder Ballard's son, Clark, said, you know what, my dad is so teachable. He said, I recently went to a state conference with my dad, and at the conference we met with the missionaries, and dad wanted to learn about how the missionaries were doing, what was working, what wasn't. And what impressed me is that the missionaries were teaching my father. He was willing to listen to them. He even said, you guys are the ones out there on the front lines. You know what's working, you know what's not. So he's teachable, he's humble, he's meek. Another one of his colleagues in the Quorum of the Seventy at the time said he's very thoughtful. I've watched him reach into the lives of people who have special challenges and give of his time and of his experience in counseling them and lifting them to a higher plane. He is sensitive to people's feelings. One of the, Another one of his colleagues in the Quorum of the Seventy said, One thing that has impressed me about Elder Ballard is that I've never seen him at lunch in the General Authorities cafeteria without some guest. But it's usually a prospective missionary or just someone who needs help, someone who needs encouragement. And encouragement is what Elder Ballard certainly gave at the general conference in October of 1980 when he invited the church members who had an inactive or non-member friend to make a commitment to help that person come into the fold of the gospel. He said, I want to help you keep the commitment you just made. I would invite you to write to me when your time has come for some additional help. Send me the name of the person you seek to rescue, and I will write a letter of encouragement to that person. Now, I'm not sure how many letters you're thinking Elder Ballard's going to write, but he wrote 600 personal letters of encouragement to people who needed help in gaining a testimony. In fact, Elder Ballard's secretary said the responses he received showed that many lives were touched by his concern. In fact, one person wrote back, I feel that your letter was the real beginning of this fantastic change in my life, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And then Sister Ballard said, I don't know how he cares for so many people. I wonder sometimes, when is it going to be his turn? He has this deep reservoir of care. He gives and gives. Here's a great example of that. His family is on their way to an amusement park. I'm going to assume Lagoon, but it could have been anywhere. And they pass by a family whose car had broken down on the highway. Once Elder Ballard got to the park, he just dropped his family off and went back and picked up this family with the car problems and let them take his car while theirs was being repaired. This family spent part of the day at the amusement park, and after their car was repaired, they returned the Ballard family 
car, but who just lends their car, you know, to complete strangers? Another theme of Elder Ballard certainly is his ministry to the one. He has great compassion for people who suffer and who are unhappy. One young man who turned to Elder Ballard for kindness was Danny, a 12-year-old whose father had just died. And after one of Elder Ballard's state conference addresses, Danny asked him if he would ordain him a deacon. Elder Ballard said if Danny's bishop and state president agreed to the arrangement, he'd be happy to do it. And that was the start, that was the beginning of a wonderful relationship between Danny and Elder Ballard. Danny and his brother Pete have spent afternoons helping in the Ballard Garden and feeling the, the influence of a friend who cares for them. When Pete wasn't sure if he'd go on a mission, Elder Ballard not only encouraged him, but spoke at his missionary farewell. Now, one of the great themes of Elder Ballard's life is just once again living close to the Spirit. And uh, one of his children said, yeah, our dad lives very close to the Spirit. His son and daughter-in-law had a new baby with medical problems. Elder Ballard visited the five-month-old girl in the hospital the day before she passed away. He was later able to comfort his son and daughter-in-law with the knowledge that her spirit had communicated with him. Dad told us that he heard her spirit talk to him and tell him not to worry, that everything would be okay, that she would be fine. He knew she was going to pass away before the rest of us knew, but Elder Ballard was prepared. He said this, that learning to respond to the promptings of the Spirit did not come all of a sudden in my life, but it has grown line upon line and precept upon precept. I'd like to conclude this podcast episode with one experience that, in my mind, summarizes so many of the wonderful, awesome qualities of Elder Ballard namely his faith and his courage. In 1980, Elder Ballard and Elder Elder Derek Cuthbert of the First Quorum of the Seventy were assigned to travel to Nigeria and West Africa. Since the end of the Nigerian Civil War in 1970, Nigeria had experienced continued economic and political instability. In Nigeria, two brethren were introduced to Anthony Obina, a school teacher and one of the first Latter-day Saints baptized in the country. Brother Obina shared with them the remarkable story of how he came to know the truth of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother Obina said that one night he was shown in a dream an ornate building, the likes of which he had never seen before. He went back to sleep and had the same dream a second and third time. Soon after, at an office in Lagos, Nigeria, Brother Obina picked up an old copy of the Reader's Digest magazine. As he casually thumbed through the tattered pages, he saw a photograph of the very very building he had seen in his dreams, the Salt Lake Temple. Brother Obina read the accompanying article and was filled with a desire to know more about the church. He wrote to church headquarters asking that information about the church be sent to him. Not only did some literature arrive, but it was brought by some Latter-day Saint missionaries, and before long, Brother Obina was baptized, and soon he was set apart as the branch president in the Abo branch. Brother Obina was excited to show Elder Ballard and Elder Cuthbert a partial of ground, a partial of ground in Abo, uh, covered with jungle foliage higher than a man's head. He explained that the tribal chief had given him the land to use in any way that he saw fit. With great emotion, he told of wanting to build a meeting house on that land. As Elder Ballard stood on that land, he felt something, something deep and profound but said nothing about it at the time. 
Toward the evening, the two brethren retired for the night in a shared room. About four o'clock in the morning, Elder Ballard awoke Elder Cuthbert by saying, Derek, how much courage do you have? I have as much as you do, he answered. Why in the world do you ask me at this hour in the morning? The Lord has prompted me that we ought to break ground for a chapel on the piece of land which we were shown today, Elder Ballard said. I don't think we should do that because we have no authorization, we have no clearance, we have no funds, Elder Cuthbert said. What will the brethren say when we go back and tell them without any approval that we broke ground and started a chapel in the far reaches of the country of Nigeria? Elder Ballard simply replied, I don't know what they'll say, but that's what the Lord wants us to do. A few hours later, Elder Ballard, Elder Cuthbert, and Mission President Brian Eppenscheid were all at the home of Brother Obina asking him if he could clear the ground in two days so a groundbreaking ceremony could be held and construction for a meeting house started. To the credit of Brother Obina and his friends, including the full-time missionary from the United States, with extensive building construction experience in two days, about half an acre of land was cleared. At six the following morning, more than a hundred people gathered on the half-acre partial, most of whom were not members of the church. At Elder Ballard's invitation, Brother Obina conducted the meeting. When Elder Ballard asked him which hymn they would sing, Brother Obina paused before saying, Well, Brother Ballard, we really only know one song well enough to sing, and that's I am a child of God. After the songs were after the song was sung and a prayer was given, Elder Ballard, Elder Cuthbert, and Brother Obina all spoke. And then Elder Ballard with a Nigerian hoe in hand started digging the footings for the new meeting house along with Elder Cuthbert, President Epenshide, and Brother Obina. Elder Ballard returned to Salt Lake City and Elder Cuthbert went back to England. I asked for an appointment to meet with the Quorum of the Twelve, Elder Ballard said. They invited me up to the fifth floor boardroom and I gave a report. I said, incidentally, we broke ground on a building that we have no authorization for. Here's why we did it. Here were the impressions. And the brethren said, you did exactly the right thing. I can't resist. How about one more? Well, at a meeting in 1990 of regional representatives, state presidents, mission presidents from Peru, Bolivia, and Venezuela, Elder Ballard asked that May the 20th, 1990 be designated as a special day of fasting for all members of the church in that area that they may seek the Lord's blessings on the land for rain, electricity, and other basic needs, but that also they might choose wisely those national political leaders who would best govern them. On that very date, there was a downpour in one of the cities in Peru. Even though the month of May is not a rainy season in that part of the country, streets begin to flood like rivers. Now, they had been in a drought, and here now the water runs down the streets like rivers. Rain even fell in Lima, which is highly unusual. One mission president reported it began raining lightly in La Paz late Sunday evening, and it has rained hard for four days straight since the conference. We fasted yesterday in gratitude as well as petition for more rain. The much-needed moisture has begun to relieve the drought in La Paz. The fact that it rained these past days has been a great testimony to the people of the power of the priesthood of God in bringing about righteous purposes. Before Elder Ballard returned to the United States, he spoke to the temple ordinance workers in Lima and said the temple president always wants to have the brethren, when they can, talk to the faithful, wonderful saints who come to the temple to carry on that sacred work. 
Elder Ballard reported during his traditional Christmas message in his, in his home ward later that year, I think of one dear sister, he said, in her late 60s who arises at 3 a.m. and walks several hours to be able to arrive at the Lima Temple in time to carry on her duties and responsibilities. He went on to share this special experience that occurred while he was speaking to the temple workers in Lima. A very unusual thing occurred on this occasion. Bolivia, Peru, and parts of Colombia had been suffering a very serious drought, and though the farmers were able to get their seed into the ground, they were concerned there would be no crops by virtue of the fact that there was no water. That was weighing heavily on the on me because I had visited with some of the stake presidents and been among the saints, and I could see their struggle. It was on my mind. I was concerned, and I was, as I was standing in the temple annex building, speaking to the temple workers, I said, The Lord has prompted me that we join in prayer. If you join with me, he has a blessing for this land. Unknown to me, one of the sisters who was there knew shorthand and transcribed the prayer. And in that prayer, I said, Now, Father, with all of our hearts, we plead with thee to send the rains to this parched earth, which has undergone several seasons of drought. Bless the ground that the seeds therein might produce food for the people. May the rains fill their wells, reservoirs, lakes, and streams with water to sustain life among these thy children. Shortly after Elder Ballard returned home from this South American visit, he had received several letters from state presidents and other leaders in Bolivia and Peru about the heavy rainfall. A regional representative in Bolivia wrote, even though some hope for rain only from the point of view of an agricultural interest, the rain and snow help cities like, uh, well, they're, they're listing some cities in Bolivia that I probably can't pronounce. The rain and snow help cities like these to fill their reservoirs with water to supply the cities with vital necessities. One stake president from Bolivia reported on Thursday, May the 24th, a very heavy rain fell. The commentaries about the snow on radio and television said there hadn't been that much snow in this area in the past 50 years. Well, anyway, what a great experience. What a great what great stories of an apostle, a prophet, seer, and revelator, Elder M. Russell Ballard, who has no qualms with drawing on and calling down the powers of heaven. I am so grateful for Elder Ballard and his faithful life, his life as an apostle of Christ where he has drawn close to the Savior and has helped others draw close to the Savior as well by his gentle, kind, loving invitations. He is faithful and true, grounded in the doctrines of the gospel, in the history of the church, and in the atonement of Jesus Christ.